the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? I am back. This is episode 173 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today, we are not going to talk about the PLL. The PLL Championship Games are today. I'm not going to bother making picks or predictions. Uh, over the last four weeks or so, my whole life has been consumed by work and work alone. So I've le- legitimately not watched outside of just the highlight cuts and things like that. So I will, uh, I'm not even going to make predictions for this. I'll do an episode during the week this week recapping the semifinals weekend and we'll talk about that a little today we are getting back into college lacrosse the the fall fall ball is about to start for a lot of teams here for some of them I think it has already started so we're going to talk about today the d1 attackman I'm most excited to see return and progress in 2022 before I get into that as always be sure to like subscribe hit the notification bell and you can go to laxfactor.com and get yourself swag t-shirts hats all that crap Let's get right into it. Uh, I want to get one thing out of the way first. One guy I'm not going to talk about is Chris Gray, and not because I'm not excited to see him come back and jack the NCAA uh, lacrosse landscape up like he did this past year. He'll be a Tawartan finalist again. He's going to be the favorite for the Tawartan again. North Carolina, partly because of him, is going to be another favorite to win the national title. They were an insanely good team last year, losing to UVA in the semifinals. They had a great year, as did Gray. I'm just not going to talk about him because there is no question as to what he's going to do, and he's a a geezer at this point. I'm going to talk about some guys you know of, some younger guys. None none of these guys uh, are, are mysteries. All of them should have been on your radar a little bit. If you're a serious college lacrosse fan, and for those casual fans that are more fans of just their team, maybe some of these guys you don't know specifically, but we'll talk about them a little bit. Um, We're going to talk about the guys that put up mad points also. A lot of times I get accused of just going through the leading scorers in the country list, which is absolutely what I end up doing in cases like this, but I don't take everybody off the list. Uh, this is this is not an exhaustive list of guys that that uh, that are going to do well on attack this year. It's really just a list of guys that were on my radar that I enjoyed watching that I'm excited about. So without further ado, let's dive into this. Connor Schellenberger, sophomore for Virginia. How the hell could you have a list like this and not include him on it? 37 goals, 42 assists, 79 points. Now, the way that Schellenberger finished off his 2021 season, that's what was bonkers. As the year progressed, he was kind of moved around. He came off uh, out of the box, ran midfield quite a bit, started on attack here and there throughout the season. It was a, a huge shuffle as UVA tried to figure out kind of that offensive mix. They, UVA, you could make the argument, almost had too many weapons. They almost had too many guys that were capable of anchoring a team. And Schellenberger, they just had a hard time figuring out where he was going to be because it was hard to keep other guys guys off the field, especially on attack. They had a very crowded attack. By the season's end, he was this team's best player. I I, I think that at least through that tournament run, there was very little question that he was UVA's best player. And that's saying a lot considering they were the national champion and they were as loaded as they were up and down their roster. His 37 goals, impressive. But his uh, that that's over the course of the season. But his last 14 goals are why I think this kid's going to be one of the best players in the country for the next three seasons. In the NCAA tournament, his game became supercharged as he kind of went off. He was putting up pretty solid assist numbers all season long. You know, it wasn't uncommon for him to have two assists, three assists, four assists as the season wore on. But he was typically a one goal, no goal, two goal kind of guy. Not that he didn't have a hat trick here and there, but 
It was the NCAA tournament where he carried the rock as if he just kind of did either. There was either some kind of concerted effort to feed the beast in the NCAA tournament because, and I'll, I'll get into why I think that later, or it just played out that way. But either way, UVA was delighted that it did. Um, so his numbers in the NCAA tournament, incredible. Two goals, three helpers against Bryant in the first round. And everyone was like, ah, hey, that's a solid game. Five points out of Schellenberger, though. You could see that coming against a team like Bryant. And Bryant played UVA tough in that first round. So they needed every point out of him that they got. Six goals and one helper versus a very good Georgetown defense that looked absolutely atrocious in that second round game. Six goals, one helper. And I mean, it was just, it was easy for him. It looked too easy. Two goals and four helpers against UNC in the semifinals. That was an incredible game for Schellenberger. And once again, they needed that out of him. And then in the finals, just one goal, four helpers against Maryland in, the, in that finals. I mean, the kid just went off in the NCAA tournament, became their best player, played like their best player. And by the, by the time they're hitting Maryland in the finals, you know Maryland's like, okay, we got to stop Schellenberger. All season long, it was, hey, we got to stop more. Um, we've got to stop, um, oh crap, the, the the big lefty attackman uh, that I'm just drawing a blank on his name here that camped on the left side all the time. And he ran some mid two. Um, uh, you had Aiken that was not, was a shell of himself, but started playing a lot tougher towards the end of the season. I mean, UVA had talent all over the place. As a freshman, this kid ends up being a first team All-American, at least USILA. Um, MVP of the NCAA tournament. He led UVA, the national champion, with 79 points on the year. A, a team, like I said, I can't say enough. They were loaded with offensive talent, and he ended up being their best offensive player. Uh, number four in the country with 79 points. Now, that's a little deceiving because I think that in points per game, he was 20th in the country, but, in, but he played a lot more games than everybody else because he obviously made it to the finals. Um, so that all plays, but still just an incredible freshman season for this kid. And, and we know now the sky is absolutely the limit. Now, how did he get there? How did he go from just being a really solid contributor on this team to being the MVP of the NCAA tournament? And I think one of the big things was he was forced to play a lot of positions. And when you, you saw the way they utilized him through the tournament, yes, he was primarily playing from wings and at X, but by that point in the season, he had played all over the field. He had dodged all types of different defenders and uh, worked all sorts of different types of dodges and, and just ran every aspect of this offense at some point. So I think that helped him. I think Matt Moore was struggling quite a bit with his shot selection. So it's possible, like I said, that they started feeding the beast a little bit more uh, in the NCAA tournament with the hopes that maybe that would cause more to get freed up. I think they lacked a legitimate dodger on attack all season long whenever Schellenberger wasn't there. Moore was supposed to be that guy, but Moore's shooting percentage was terrible. And the way UVA's wins and losses went kind of rode with how well did Matt Moore shoot the ball in that game. It wasn't uncommon for Moore to take 11 shots and only put two of them in the back of the net. So that hurt them. When, you're, when you're, you're, your best dodger is also your worst shooter, that ends up hurting your offense a little bit. So I think that there may have been a concerted effort to try to put him in that role of let's get this kid carrying, let's have him be the one dodge. He wasn't a ridiculously... He wasn't a scary dodger. There, there was that one dodge against Syracuse that he stuck when he was coming off the field as a midfielder that was ridiculous. But, but he became, by the NCAA tournament, he was a scary dodger. He was scary all over the field. Uh, and I think that that's probably, des was probably designed, even though I have no um, 
confirmation of this, but that was probably designed to try to help free more up. Let's not have more be the the one dodge trying to get to the rack with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. Let's give the ball to Schellenberger and see if what he does can free more up. And it ended up working out for him. Uh, in the end, we all know he's going to give the ACC fits. He's going to give the NCAA at large fits for three more seasons. Imagine where this kid would have been if he didn't redshirt before the COVID shortened season and he had gotten those first five, eight games, whatever Virginia played. I'm sure Virginia played more than probably five games that year because they're top heavy in the first half of their schedule. So imagine how good, I mean, granted, maybe it didn't, wouldn't have made him a leaps and bounds better, but if he would have had those five games under his belt that season, instead of red shirting that season, because it ended up being a red shirt season anyway, imagine where he would have ended up. So Connor Schellenberger, Shelly, whatever the hell you want to call him, this kid is for real, and I expect for him to be an all first team All American uh, as a sophomore, junior, and senior, and he'll be a Twarton finalist here by his junior year at worst. He could be a Twarton finalist next year as a sophomore. Next guy, and this one's a guy you know, but a guy I want to talk about because I felt like he he's made some improvements in his game that will make him even more formidable in his super senior year is Asher Nolting. He's a super senior out of High Point. He is coming back to High Point for that super senior graduate year, whatever you want to call it. Last year, 27 goals, 45 assists, 72 points, which was off of what I thought he was going to end up putting up, but he had a lot. He had quite a bit of help on offense for high point this year, uh, 5.14 points per game. The biggest place this kid has improved uh, over 2021, only 59 turnovers over the course of 2021. Now, a lot of you'd be like, well, 59 turnovers, that's a, a shitload of turnovers, which it is a bunch of turnovers. But if you watched high point play, what they ask of this kid is incredible. And he's just a bruiser. He's a big bois attackman, uses that frame to get to the rack, dodges, re-dodges, very a la Lyle Thompson, Connor Fields kind of dodger, where he's going to the rack, he sees the double team coming, he simply rolls away from it and keeps going to the rack. There is no see the double team move the ball with Nolting unless somebody's open and ready to, to score the rack. So I love how this kid plays. In uh, the 2019 season, he had 4.5 turnovers per game, versus 92 points, 44 goals, 48 assists. So, I mean, he put up 92 points. That's ridiculous. So I think, but I think his turnover number was uh, 79 turnovers that year, but it averaged out to 4.5 turnovers per game. In the shortened 2020 season, dropped a little bit to 4.3 turnovers per game. And then, and that was versus 33 points. That year, he had 39 turnovers to 33 points. He actually had more turnovers and points. That is terrible. So going into... 2021, one of the things I said he had to clean up, obviously, you got to have less turnovers. And it doesn't matter how many less, given what they're asking him to do, he's going to turn the ball over. That, that's, a, that's a fact of it. But in 2021, despite the fact he was just as keyed on, he carried the ball just as often, you might even make the argument more, 4.2 turnovers per game in 2021 versus 72 points. I think his number in 2021 was like 53, 59 turnovers, something like that. So, I mean, it's not a huge drop. 4.5 turnovers per game in 2019 to 4.2 turnovers per game in 2021, but it's still huge. And 27 goals to 45 assists, he's being forced to, to feed a lot more and use the talent around him a lot more. And I think he did, did that effectively considering the brutal schedule they played. They played North Carolina 
twice in the regular season. They played UVA. I think they played Duke. I mean, this kid's playing really solid teams, really solid defenses, and their conference is nothing to to uh, uh, you know bat an eye at. Is that a, is that even a saying? Bat an eye at. Either way, they, he plays in a tough conference as well against very tough defenses. So I'm excited uh, to see what he does. Uh, shooting percentage improvements. I think in his breakout year, I don't think I know this in his breakout year, he finished at a 37.3% clip. That's a really good shooting percentage for an attackman that's asked to do as much as he does in that shortened season. He turned the ball over more than more than he put up points on the scoreboard and he only shot uh, the ball at a 25% clip. Not good enough. 25% shooting percentage is really bad. In 2021, despite all the attention, despite all the eyeballs, he both lowered his number of turnovers overall on average, which is great. And he got a shooting percentage back up to 34.6%, which any, you know, any guy that does what he does is going to take that. Sure. He'd like it to be 36%, 38%. He'd like it to be 99%. But improving that shoot, shooting percentage from 25% in uh, the COVID-shortened season to 34.6%, I mean, that's a hell of a job by Nolting. He's going to be one of the top five attackmen this year. He should probably end up, I would presume, being even a Tawartan finalist now that we've thinned the herd down. Uh, and, and he's must-see TV. If you, if you haven't watched High Point and Asher Nolting play, it's not just about Asher Nolting. High Point plays an exciting brand of lacrosse. Offensively, I dig them. Last year, they had that midfielder, uh, what was his name, Rogers, that came into the mix. He's now playing in the PLL, doing well. So High Point, a very talented team like Richmond. They're one of those teams that they're, everyone's just waiting for them to pop and get themselves into the tournament, into the quarterfinal round. It'll happen. So as, and and he does this especially when they scrap against ACC teams because High Point plays a bunch of ACC teams. Well worth the watch. Watch this kid go up against some of the best in the country, and you will not be disappointed. Another guy. Now we're going to get into the ACC teams. I'm going to take a drink of water. I forgot how how uh, how dry my mouth gets when I talk like this. All right, Pat Cavanaugh Jr. Notre Dame, 26 goals, 38 assists, 64 points, 5.33 points per game in 2021. Notre Dame has had no shortage of attackmen that play with both savagery and flash. You look at Matt Cavanaugh, he always impressed, and he's still doing it in the PLL, as did Ryder Garnsey. These guys had different styles. Uh, Cavanaugh was flashy at times, Matt I'm talking about, um, but he was a little bit more by the book. Uh, but he was still impressive. Uh, Garnsey was a lot more flash. Both of them would put up points in key moments. Both of them would break the heart of your favorite ACC team. And uh, they both got the job done for for Notre Dame. They were both absolutely incredible attackmen, and now they're both incredible uh, players in the PLL as well, still getting it done. Pat Kavanaugh, to me, he's kind of like a hybrid between Matt, his older brother, and Garnsey. He has all the same boxes checked in terms of the basics. Uh, he can dodge, he can feed, he can do all of the things that you need him to do from a just basic skill set level, but throw in, he's going to stick backhands behind the backs. He's going to put in shovel shots from 10 yards out while he's got a dude draped all over him. He's going to dive. The kid does it all. He, he, he has all of the basics covered and he does everything you want a gritty attackman to do but he also will stick it behind the back in a weird moment that you wouldn't think that a shot was even possible, which is what I end up liking the most about him because that, that, that's just fun to watch. Now, I don't have as much to go into on him because, you know, between um, uh, someone like Nolting, who's got like a body of work to go by, he's just got a season and a half under his belt. But 
watch this kid in the ACC. Notre Dame's returning a bunch of talent. Notre Dame over the last two seasons has done a better job in the transfer portal than arguably any other ACC team, and they, they're doing it again already this year. So I think that Notre Dame is going to at the beginning of la this past season, Notre Dame was looked at as kind of being in the basement of the ACC. I think Notre Dame's right in the middle of the pack, maybe even a little bit higher than that this upcoming season. They got some losses at the midfield they'll have to deal with, but they, they're always tough defensively, always solid in cage, and, uh, and you, they've got a, a really strong attack unit coming back for the 2022 season. So Kavanaugh, watch him. He's going to do a good job. I bet you he ends up in the area of 60, 70 points or so. Where he needs to improve, as is the case with a lot of uh, attackmen that end up having breakout years, he put up 16 points in five games as a freshman. So teams knew he'd be formidable, and they were able to game plan a little bit more for that coming into the 2021 season. It wasn't a surprise that Kavanaugh was going to come out and sting you. I think it was a surprise that he was going to come out and do what he did, but uh, everybody knew that he was going to be solid. He dropped his shooting percentage from that, that COVID-shortened season, 31.3% down to 29.2%. You could make the argument that COVID-shortened season, he was playing a weaker schedule, and that maybe that season, had he played the full thing out, he would have ended up maybe in 27% range or whatnot. And make the argument also, he's getting shots off in scenarios that guys are normally not capable of even getting a shot off. That might cause his shooting percentage to be a little bit lower, but I'd like I'd like a guy like him to just be above 30. I'm not going to chirp him for, for, for scoring 3 out of 10 and, and going 30, but you'd like to see him average out 31, 33, somewhere in there. So that's something to watch. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to do it. Um, Really, you're looking at his his technical junior year as just his sophomore season, and he's going to be teed up on and keyed on even more in this upcoming season. So if he could get himself just to 30.5% in terms of shooting percentage, I think that would be a huge accomplishment for the kid. But like I said, he's going to figure it out. Uh, he's going to get his, uh, hopefully he does get that shooting percentage back up. I expect he's going to put up 70 plus points in 2022. He could potentially end up over 80, depending on how things go. But Notre Dame's not the team, I think, that ends up with a guy that could, you know, puts up 80 points. He's got talent all around him, which is going to help. That 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 talent around him could either increase or decrease his his point totals. But make no mistake, he's just going to get better as a player because of the wealth of talent around him. So I think you're going to see progress across all of his stats in the end because Notre Dame's going to be loaded again. And, and Kavanaugh, must-see TV. Just like all the guys on the, this list for the most part, if you're an attackman and you haven't seen any of these, some of these guys play, look them up, watch their highlight tapes, especially from this past season because we had a, a, an incredible season of lacrosse last year. Next guy I want to talk about, Ryan Lanchberry, super senior, Richmond. He is coming back. They do. I think it was Richmond just announced a coaching change. They lost their coach to Denver, if I'm uh, thinking this out right. But uh, and I believe he's still coming back though. I don't think that's going to change where he ends up in 2022. Now Lanchberry, he's another guy that was pretty much thrust into the spotlight as a sophomore, 2019, kind of like Asher Nolting. Kid goes uh, puts up 72 points. I think he had 30 points or something like that as a freshman. Uh, jumps to 72 points as a sophomore in 2019, and he was one of the huge reasons that Richmond had that kind of breakout year where they went from just being Richmond to being a team that can hang with the likes of Maryland and anybody they play. Uh, 72 points off 52 goals and 20 assists. That is not bad for a sophomore. In the shortened 2020 season, he was keeping that pace. 14 goals, 16 assists for 30 points. He was forced to change his game up. 
Richmond had some graduations, some changing in the roster. He's now being keyed on a little bit more. So he, how often do you see a guy jump from 52 goals and 20 assists to 14 and 16? He went from a 2.5 to 1 goal versus assist ratio to a near 1 to 1 goal assist ratio. That's a pretty incredible change in how they play. And it's not that guys don't do it. You see a lot of guys do that where when they're young, they can put up more goals, but once the defense starts throwing the kitchen sink at them, they end up having to feed the rock more. A guy like um, uh, um, Pat Spencer, I believe, did that. I think Pat Spencer was a little bit more goal-heavy when he, in his younger parts of his career and became more of a 50-50 guy, assist-heavy later on. Uh, so you'll see it, but it's the best players that end up being able to make that transition from goal scorer to a mix of scorer and feeder because they take what the defense gives them. Lanchberry is one of those guys. Uh, he was at, let's see here, 50-50 mindset. Oh, so overall, though, that's incredible efficiency. In 2021, he goes 28 goals, 39 assists. So, I mean, it's not a one-to-one. He's not a true 50-50 guy. He is a 50-50 guy in terms of his capabilities, but when you take what the defense gives you and you end up hitting the open guy because you're getting double teamed, boom, that's where his 39 assists come into play. And he had a 32.6% shooting percentage, which is excellent. That's just incredible efficiency for a guy that you're asking to contribute that much to your offense. And he does not turn the ball over all that often. So Lanchberry overall, he is excellent. He's also a killer on man up. Four man up goals last year in 2021. Kids got 16 man up goals over his career. So that is pretty awesome as well. Richmond, they return a wealth of talent. It's possible the coaching change isn't a, a bad thing. Sometimes you see a coaching change where you have senior leaders come back. Sometimes that coaching change results in kind of a, a fire being lit under the guy's asses a little bit. So I'm hoping that we see him progress again. I'm hoping we get him into the 80 range. I think he's going to end up in the 60s uh, this upcoming season. Could hit the 70s, but the sky's the limit for Lanchberry as well. The kid is an incredible attackman. And now the last guy that I'm going to talk about. And like I said, I'm, I'm, there's guys I'm not talking about that you're going to be like, how the hell could you not mention so-and-so? How, why didn't you talk about Gray? I already told you why I didn't talk about Gray. Next guy, I, was, uh, just, I, I didn't even know who this kid was until last season. And uh, I didn't probably even then, I didn't know who he was until four or five games deep. Richie La Calandra Jr. out of LIU. Kid went for 33 goals, 29 assists, 62 points, 5.64 points per game. And weirdly, he reminds me of Eric Devendorf, former uh, Syracuse shooting guard. Now, let me explain why. Partly, he has that hardcore white boy facial hair that Devendorf rocked. So he kind of looks a little bit like Devendorf in that way. And, and like I said, it could just be the facial hair. But he's tough. He gets beat up. He keeps going. He can do a little bit of everything, and the kid can finish with the best of them. So he's going to do all the basics. He's going to scrap. He's going to grab a ground ball here and there. He's going to ride okay, although I think he can improve his riding game quite a bit. But more importantly, the kid can finish. Devendorf, he did all of those other things as his career progressed, but he finished, and this kid does that. And he's already a true 50-50 threat. Great job in 2021 of taking what the defense gave him. His 33 goals included a slew of potential ESPN top 10s. His 29 helpers were dictated by the defense trying to stop him from scoring a highlight real goal on them. So he's just feeding the talented shooters that shared the field with him. Kid was great. LIU overall had a very exciting, fast-paced offense. So that made Calandra's job a lot easier. It put him in a lot more positions to score. 
Uh, you couldn't totally key on him because they had a couple of guys that could carry the rock beyond him. And then more importantly, they had some shooters surrounding him. So you could double him a little bit, but you had to make sure that you were shifting your defense around and covering all the bases. Now, a couple that uh, with the fact that he played a weaker schedule than, than almost everybody. He, he played a weaker schedule than everybody else that I've mentioned so far. Um, so that definitely opened things up a little bit more for him. But make no mistake, what he did against the Hobarts, the Bryants, the St. Joe's of the world, he very well could do against the Blue Bloods if he were put on the field against them. I think he's going to put up five-plus uh, points a night again playing that similar schedule. But I think if you you put him on the field against a Richmond or a High Point, five, six, seven points because he'll have to. You put him on the field against a, a team like Virginia that beats people up on defense or Notre Dame that plays solid defense, I think he's still good for three or four points and he could still potentially go off because necessity may dictate that. So that's what we haven't seen out of La Calandra yet. Um, we know he can put up points against the lower level Division One teams or the mid-level Division One teams. What would he do against the Blue Bloods and against some of the best defenses in the country? There is a world in which maybe he's that guy that only puts up three or four points against the best teams in the country. But what we don't know yet is if you put him on the field against the Maryland, Virginia, um, Notre Dame, it's potential. There's potential that he could end up being the guy that will carry through those defenders those teams aren't going to provide as much help defense also so there's a world in which he could end up having huge games against some of these teams he could very much asher nolting it at nolting typically plays great on the big stage against those big defenses because they often leave their defenders on an island a little bit more than some of the mid-level to lower level teams so it um, that's what i want to see out of la, la calandra i want to see will la calandra do the same thing that he did against these weaker defenses will he be able to handle and do that against these better teams I think he can. I think the kid uh, has showed a skill set that is pretty much incredible here. All right. I said I wasn't going to do it, but we got time here. So I am going to make some picks for today's PLL games. I'm actually going to watch the games, drink beer, might even do a little, a few reaction videos where I'm sipping on beer, watching games on my three monitors over here and, and rocking that out. But let's see here. We've got Atlas six and three against the chaos four and five. Now, listen, I am tempted to just pick the Atlas because I want the Atlas to actually win this game. Right now, I'm rooting for the Atlas through this tournament. Chaos, though, are just too tough, man. You look at what they did last year where they were terrible during the regular season, but because everybody makes the playoffs, they end up in the playoffs, and they end up making a run. They're sitting at 4-5, and five, the Atlas at 6-3. and three. Um, I'm not even going to go deep enough to look at the, yeah, you know what, screw it. Let's look at what their preview says because we might as well bring those previews up and it'll make me sound a little bit smarter than I am. Um, so, geez, I got a bunch of pop-ups here that have just been hopping up on my screen all willy-nilly. All right, 2021 stats. You know, the Atlas pretty much rule this across the board. Uh, the Chaos have a slightly better shooting percentage, which is surprising, but the Atlas take a lot more shots per game. The Atlas win more face-offs, but the Chaos have the best goalie in the league, much better goalie than the Atlas do, at least in terms of statistics. But I'm going with the Atlas. I think it's going to be a close game. I uh, will say one or two goals, but I'm going to go with the Atlas in this one just because, man, I like the Atlas. I, I like their style of play. And uh, the Water Dogs against the Whips. And uh, here, no-brainer for me, as much as I want to pick the Water Dogs because they have looked solid. And when you look at how these teams match up, I like what the Water Dogs could potentially do in this game. You cannot go against uh, Rat Mambo. Uh, Rat Mambo, however he wants to pronounce that. Rambo is an absolute killer 
with games on the line uh, in the playoffs. He typically does not let his team lose, which is why they've won the first two PLL championships. So I am going with the Whips, and I think we will see the Atlas and the Whips in the finals. Uh, so I am going to put out an episode during this week, upcoming week. Probably will do it. We might even do it Monday, might even do it Monday night, put it out Tuesday morning. I can't promise anything because work is still a little bit crazy. So what I can promise is I will do a podcast every weekend moving forward. Uh, I can also promise that that podcast will be back. We're right back into talking about college lacrosse for this upcoming season. We'll start getting into previews. I'm going to go through and talk about the other position groups that I'm excited about and guys. So we'll go through every group, every position group. We're even going to do short stick D mids and crap like that in the upcoming week. So Everybody enjoy the PLL action today, though. It wasn't like my reason for not covering the PLL today and not previewing these games has nothing to do with me not being pleased with the PLL or or any of that. It just has to do with how busy I've been. I know all of these college guys like the back of my hand, so I know I can just pop up an episode and talk about these guys with some level of intelligence. I still cannot do that with the PLL simply because I haven't really been able to watch the last few weeks. I've been working every weekend, 70 hours per week for four weeks in a row with not one day off that entire stretch. So starting to get my weekends back again, though. So we're going to talk about lacrosse. So as I've, as always, hey, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. You can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag, uh, like, subscribe, share this with your homeboys. If you're an audio listener, go to anchor.fm, and that's our audio home, but you can get this anywhere where we have audio podcasts. And there is, I can't announce this yet officially because nothing is official yet, but there may be a very exciting development where we may be able to s- soon move the video podcast. We're going to keep it in YouTube forever, like it is right now, but we may end up on a different platform that's offering video podcasts as well. So we were approached by said platform. Uh, So we'll see over the coming weeks if we end up on a new platform with the video podcast that everyone may love as well. So that's it. I will be back and I will do an audio, at least an audio podcast for the PLL crap that goes down today. Um, and I'm hoping to put out a video podcast for that as well. So as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out.